I realised that as we get older, we get quite vulnerable and I would not want to be forced to move because I did something like that. So we decided that as a way of future-proofing our home that we would install a domestic lift. You're listening to the She Renovates podcast. You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love. Hello Renovators, it's Bernadette back with another episode of She Renovates. We're on episode number 99. Now, who would have thought? But here we are, and today I'm going to be talking about putting a lift into a domestic renovation. Now, it's something that I've often thought about and felt it it is quite a luxury, but now I'm thinking that there may be some possible opportunities for value adding with a lift. But for this episode, what I want to talk about is what we learned about domestic lifts when we went shopping for one for our own reno. I've asked Stephen to join me today because there's a few things that are slightly technical that he understood better than I did. So I thought that it might be a good idea if he came along. So we have the master with us today. What I'm going to go through is 10 things that we learned when we went shopping for a lift for our own renovation. I've always thought it was good that we had four levels in our home because it keeps us fit running up and down them. But when I broke my knee, I realised that as we get older, we get quite vulnerable and I would not want to be forced to move because I did something like that. So we decided that as a way of future-proofing our home, that we would install a domestic lift along with some other renovations. Of course, in our minds, we were thinking this is going to be a very expensive exercise. And so, which brings me to the first point. They're not as expensive as you think. Would you agree, Stephen? Hi everyone. Um, yes, uh, we were a little bit surprised as well. Went with the, you sort of have this conception that lifts are of a very expensive of nature, and they certainly are for large lifts. But a lot of the domestic ones, I think they've recognised the need, and there's also with the disability components, they think they've started to price them in a uh, more competitive way. So uh, yes, they weren't as bad as we we thought they would be. No, so we got a quote for a lift to go into our home to go over four levels, and it was around about 50,000. And for the actual lift, which, and its installation, which I, well, we both thought was very reasonable. And of course, you've had a lot of experience with installing lifts in commercial settings, so your lifts would cost a lot more, would they not? Well, yes, it's the size of them as much as anything else, and they uh, generally use a different technologies than what um, um, some of the smaller lifts use these days. So Yeah. yeah. And so, which brings us to the next thing. So, there are two different types of lifts. The first type is a hydraulic lift, and I think traditionally that's what they've most of them have been up to this point. Would that be correct? 
In the smaller lifts, they were generally hydraulic. The larger lifts used to have very large lift motor rooms and you often see them sticking above the height of the building when a building is complete and that is the lift overrun pit and the motor rooms and everything else. But uh, the uh, hydraulic lifts do have a limitation because you could only, it was only as long as the hydraulic ram could be that the lifts would be. So they'd often be up to four or five storeys high, but they weren't generally anything much higher than that. They were all done with the normal pulleys and mm. and cabling and everything else that you get in the older style of lift so yeah. and you also need to have like a plant room even now don't you you don't need a plant room for the hydro uh, you do for the hydraulics or you need a, a sort of an area for the oil and, and what the goes pumps. in that so the oil is in there's a there's a large oil tank and then there's the the controls and pumps and things like that which uh, which drive which drive the mechanism, which actually drives the hydraulic rams, which which lift it up. They're like a, if if you visualise what a a forklift looks like, that's effectively what they're doing. They're like a forklift lifting it up, into the um, up to the respective levels within the within the house or home. So. And they're powered by oil, like oil forced through yeah. pipes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, and even still, they're used quite commonly domestically. Our neighbours have a lift, and theirs is. Hydraulic. Yeah. However, we found that there's another more common, or well, not more common, but a newer type of lift, and that's an electric lift. Now, what's the difference with those? Well, the electric lifts tend to run on a rail system, and the motor and and the like is is really attached to the body of the car. So, the some of them do have the motor at the top, but basically. You don't you don't need the the tank for oil obviously they're more compact um, and I think in this day and age they're becoming more reliable but uh, it is important to note that they do require a reasonable amount of electricity so which I'm sure is one of the points we'll touch on in a moment about making sure that you've got adequate power but having said that the hydraulic ones aren't alone there either they the pumps are still quite large Um, some of those are also required to be three phase but generally the electric ones can be a single phase uh, single phase motor which means it's more common in a domestic environment so yeah and then uh, when it comes to installing the lift purchasing and installing the lift you've got to think of it in two parts there's the actual purchasing of the lift and custom customizing that to suit your needs but then there's the the construction of the shaft that can be done in a few different ways so most common way would be that you're you know form it up in bricks but we found that one particular company had a prefabricated option which was a metal shaft which was just like a framework that you have installed obviously you need to have your openings cut which cost around $10,000. He was suggesting that that was a good way of being economical, but I think we decided that we didn't need to do that because we only needed as one plumb wall that had the capacity to support the mm. lift. Is that correct? So, so with the electric ones, they um, because they run on a rail system, they actually really only run on one of the four walls. Um, they obviously need the other walls around it to, to finish off to, but, but in reality, the, most of the load just goes through one, one of the, which is normally the back wall or back or side. And on that basis, they, you, all you need is that wall needs to be structural and uh, obviously 
be able to take the load of the rails and the running gear and everything else and on the that. weight of the lift yeah. and the weight of the lift and as i said if you visualize them as like a forklift arms going up and down that's pretty much what they're doing running on a back rail which is uh, which is how those uh, those operate so the, the, this frame another ten thousand dollars gets you part of the way there but you do still need to look at the finishes and they've got to be rigid surfaces you can't just clad them in jiprock and things like that they need to be um, something which is impenetrable so no one could accidentally you know sort of put something through the wall or damage it while it was operating so from a safety point of view mm. and i think that's the way we've decided to go isn't it so create the openings but run the lift mechanism well up yeah one we're, we're quite lucky because we actually have a steel structure in the building that we uh, we live in in any case it's an old warehouse and therefore a lot of the support is already there there may need some columns and some additional trimming uh, metal uh, steel trimmers but basically uh, a lot of the structure is already there so it does make it a little bit easier in our case so and so the next thing that we discovered is that you can do lots of customization with your lift so if you want to line it with pink wallpaper you can do that you can do all sorts of buttons and paneling the thing that i discovered is the sexy options like the glass walls can increase the price exponentially because you're not just glazing the walls of the car you've got to glaze the walls of the shaft as well so it ended up being about 60000 extra, didn't it, to put the glass in? Yeah, some in. of them. I mean, it also, if you go for the, like the biparting doors, as opposed to like a hinge door, where, you know, in a normal lift, if you, you know, visualise when you walk up to them, there's a pair of doors and they, they sort of sliding doors and they, they bipart at the middle. And uh, those done in glass um, are expensive. And again, you actually, you do end up with double the amount of doors because you've got the doors on the outside and you've got the doors on the inside, one, one attached to the car and one attached to each level that you're stopping at. So it does add, it does add to the cost. Yeah, so I think we decided that we didn't need the glass panelling. We are, however, going for a glass door, but we're going for a swing door because it's, you know, we're putting it in as something that creates more function. I think that we can still get it to look quite good, but without going over the top. Speaking of customization, when we were recently staying in a, quite a funky hotel in Sydney, they did actually have the inside of the lift clad. It was like contact, pink flamingos or something all over it, it looked quite good. So we may get carried away, but we'll wait and see. So we were quite keen to have disabled access. Well, certainly to have the possibility of being able to get a wheelchair in and out. Um, and there is a big difference between being able to get an, a wheelchair in and out of the lift and having a, an accredited disability accredited lift. So initially we went for the disability accredited one until we discovered how much space it would take up because you need to be able to wheel a wheelchair in and turn it around inside the lift. Yes, yeah, so to be fully compliant, you need to have enough space to be able to turn the, turn the wheelchair and that adds to the size of the lift considerably. So you can still have one which can easily take a lift and comply with, take sorry, a taking a chair, sorry, a wheelchair and can um, certainly meet all of those requirements. But it's not that uncommon for a chair to go in forwards and come out backwards, which of course would be the case with the smaller lifts. 
and you can appreciate if you tried to turn a wheelchair around in a you know in a normal room how much space you need to be able to to rotate that th- through uh, because the chairs uh, you know with the footrests and everything else are longer than what they are wide and so you need the room to be able to turn the, the you know the uh, uh, the wheelchair around within there to make it fully compliant um, I think we'll probably go for the compromise position, which is it will take the chair, but it will probably not be a fully compliant one, only from a space point of view, but it, I think it still provides the function for, for most people without it being a fully compliant lift. Because this is just a residential property, it's not a commercial premises, We're not, uh, there is no obligation for us to provide that uh, additional service. Yeah, and the other thing that I discovered since then, I was doing a bit of research on this, is... If you have a valid reason, like a medical reason for requiring a a disability lift, then there are some circumstances where it can be GST exempt. So if you're in that position and you're thinking about putting a lift in, make sure that you explore that. There are some conditions, but they're not particularly onerous. I think a medical certificate I read so that you um, can make that saving. The other thing is obviously the power supply, you have touched on that. So they don't all necessarily need three phase? No. Look, I think it is important that you actually, um, if you are going to go down this path, you you really do need to um, maybe meet with it. Have a look. I'd probably get two or three quotes where possible in any case. Uh, We haven't quite completed that exercise at this point in time. But just see what the differences are, what the advantages are. You do find that some of them tend to push one type more than another or hydraulic more than the other but I think the trend is moving towards electric lifts mm. uh, and I think that's where the technology is moving to both both commercially and domestically um, so that's why our preference is to run with electric but uh, something to consider but uh, in addition to that you also just need to think about one is the structures we've touched on but there's also um, height and floor restrictions if you want it to finish flush with the floor on the ground floor you actually need to have like a, a little overrun pit uh, where the, the mechanism and all of the floor supports and everything else actually sort of sink below the floor level. And to do that, you need to, you know, if it's on a concrete base, you would need to excavate down. It's only about two or 300 millimetres deep. They do vary. So again, it depends on the manufacturer. Uh, but that allows it to finish flush with the ground floor. And again, for wheelchairs and things like that, if you didn't go down that option, you'd have to build a ramp in the floor um, and again to be compliant it'd have to be a 1 in 14 ramp uh, gradient ramp leading up to the, the floor of the lift and that can take up quite a bit of room in your house so uh, you know it's another cost so I think it's just something to bear in mind you need to do and you also do have to have the height at the top you need to have on the uppermost from the floor of the um, uppermost room uh, there needs to be a, I think it's roughly 2.7 meters from the floor up to the sort of the top of the car uh, mainly because there's some mechanisms and motors and other uh, controls and things which sit on top of the roof of, of the uh, of the car and uh, you need room for all of that to uh, to be housed so uh, if that makes uh, makes sense as well so, yeah. yeah so you've launched into some of the installation process I think the thing the main thing to know is that you need to your architect needs to design your renovation to meet with the needs for that particular the the lift that you choose 
So part of it is in the building work and then the lift comes in last once the space has been created for it. I think the biggest thing I got from that is those walls or the shaft needs to be completely plumb. The walls need to be yeah, smooth. Yeah, well, they certainly have to be within the tolerances and they're quite tight tolerances. I mean, they do they do have some leeway, but they, they need to be pretty close to being uh, yeah. plumb, uh, plumb and um, that's, uh, that's critical. Um, otherwise, they, it just, they can't run in a shaft that's got a lean or a bend or anything like that in it. Uh, and if there is a like a bow in the wall or something like that, they would actually have to pack it all out off the wall, which means it increases the room size or the the, the lift um, lift room size uh, to accommodate that. So there, it, it needs to be done professionally. Yeah, and also on oh, the other thing you need to think about is what side of the lift the doors open. So if you are, particularly if you've got, you know, the biparting doors, the ones that slide open, like in David Jones, if you've got them on different sides, it can be quite expensive because you've got, is it two sets of doors? The doors Mm. inside and the doors outside. So that can add significantly to the cost. Mm. And it it can increase the size of the car as well, because um, there needs to be enough room in the shaft for the doors to slide and open to give you the space that you require. So yeah. um, if you have a look at most of the cars uh, that they make, if there's the doors are only on one side, if you come in and out of the same side of the, of the thing, you'll find that it's more like a rectangular floor plate. Um, but when you go for the doors on one side and sort of a front and a side or front, not so much a front and a back is not a problem, but the moment you go to a front and a side, the floor plate looks more square. Uh, and not rectangular, which means the whole thing increases in size. So um, you just need to make sure you've got the available space if that was the configuration you wanted to choose. But there is no restriction on, they appeared from what we could see, to be able to do almost any configuration, but it just adds to the cost with the more doors that you have or different doors that open on different levels. Yeah. Yeah, and so one of the reasons why we decided to pull back from the fully disabled lift is because as part of this renovation, I'm getting a podcasting studio. And the bigger the lift got, the smaller my studio got. So I, we had to compromise because I you know, really wanted to make sure that I stood my ground on my little space in the renovation. And last thing, so when we were talking to the salesman, he talked about the opportunity for adding value to properties on really steep sides by putting a lift in. Was he referring to external lifts? Yeah, these can be installed externally as well. Um, So they obviously, they're a different cladding and a different structure, but basically they just need to be waterproof. But um, he was, that that was right. He was looking particularly on very steep sites where you could, um, you know, people often look at it and think, oh, that would be just terrible. You're always having to negotiate, you know, multiple staircases and to come from your car park and all those sorts of things. And, you know, if it, if it was sixty or $70,000 for a lift in the price of a piece of real estate, it's in Sydney in any case, that's not a lot of money as an additional add-on cost for the value it can add in the fact that you've got easy access um, to, uh, to your property, uh, even though it may be um, on a very elevated um, or sloping site, so. Yeah. yeah, so if you think that you may have 
the application for putting a lift in. I actually love the idea of going around and finding something with a really steep incline because I think, you know, that's a massive value add. It just makes it so much more accessible and just opens up a much broader market. So you'd think, you know, what a huge buyer objection if you've got a really, really steep approach to the property. If you could whack a lift in, spend, you know, say 60 grand, I think that would pay you back in spades. So yeah, interesting to think about. Just be careful with the costs. You really do need to meet with the with the people and have a look at the individual sites. There's a lot of factors which do yeah. affect the costs, so need to be a little bit careful saying they're fifty or sixty thousand uh, dollars. As we found out, it wasn't very hard to uh, creep up to a hundred thousand dollars. No, it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> without sort of much of a blink, uh, you know, once you start going for anything that is a little bit architectural with glass and sliding doors and all of the rest of it, the price soon creeps up. But Ours is more for function rather than anything else, and therefore I think um, you know ours can be a little bit utilitarian in its approach rather than um, yeah you know, rather than uh, you know sort of the the architectural feature that some people may be looking for. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me, Stephen, because I probably would have bumbled my way through that. So I appreciate that you're able to add the finer detail to the um, conversation. Mm. That's all right. Well, I, I hope, uh, hope that was some uh, some value to you. So um, it's just a, you know, I know it's not for everyone, but it is just, it's interesting to know what is available out there and they're certainly becoming more and more popular. And I think also you're finding that as people, you know, in an ageing population, we find that a lot of people don't necessarily want to leave their home. Um, and uh, in some of the smaller lift installations, they are really quite economical. Um, I mean, our, ours is across four levels. But, you know, a lot of people, if they're just in a two-storey place, mm. it means that they can, they can live in their home and stay in their home for many, many years longer. And if the only reason they're leaving is because, you know, they can't negotiate stairs and things like that, it's a bit of a shame that they're forced out of their home for those reasons when there's exactly. a fairly, you know, a, a reasonably uh, economical alternative. So. Exactly. Okay, so just before I go, I got a very lovely review this week and I'd like to share it with you. So it's five stars from the Tanned Greek. And he it was entitled My Guilty Pleasure. So I love this person's language. Um, just dropping by to show my support for your podcast, Bernadette. I look forward to each episode and I'm never disappointed with the content. It's such a generous offering and compared to many other property podcasts I subscribe to, yours is a clear winner. Perfectly suited to people embarking on a new renovated journey, but equally suited to more experienced folk like myself. There's something for everyone. Keep up the great work. Your honesty is so refreshing. I look forward to future learning and hearing more student success stories. Best, David Mikos, and yes, a bloke. Well, thanks so much for that, David. I really appreciate your review. We read all of them and it just really floats my boat, encourages me to keep going. And obviously it's been very successful because now I'm at next week is going to be episode number 100. And as I mentioned, I actually did say I would be recording episode 100 at our She Renovates Live event, which was last week. I did, but I've decided to re-record it. I did a new presentation last week, but I'm going to re-record it before we publish, just so that the quality is really good and you get great value from it. On that note, I'm going to close. Thanks again, Stephen, for joining me and I'll see you all next week.
This is the She Renovates podcast. To discover how to harness the power of renovating, check out theschoolofrenovating.com.